You may be seated. What is it that you crave out of life? What are the main desires you have for a life well-lived? As a follower of Jesus, what is the life God has always wanted for you? In this message series, we'll explore Trinity's six core values. This week, we'll focus on the Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. At Trinity, we provide many opportunities for people to understand and be molded by God's character and nature as revealed in His Word, the Bible. This is because we believe the Bible is unlike any other book ever written, uniquely inspired by God. We believe that it has the power to transform the way we think and act. We also believe that it has ultimate authority over our lives, compelling us to ask the question, what does the Bible say about that and how do I respond? These are the things that we care about most and how they might lead to the life we've always wanted. Good morning, Trinity Church. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Scott Clayton. For those of you who don't know me, I am the business administrator here at Trinity. And you might be asking yourself, rightly so, what is the business administrator doing up here on a Sunday morning? Well, I'm not here to talk about business or finances, so you can you know, have your sigh of relief there. I'm actually here to talk about something much more important, the Word of God. I and others this morning are going to be talking to you about one of Trinity's uh, core values, and that is what you just saw in the video. The Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. Last week, Pastor Doug set the table for living the life that we've always wanted, which hopefully is also the life that God wants for us, both individually and as a community. So today we begin looking at the first of six core values that make Trinity Church what it is. You can think of these values as uh, markers or priorities that we hope everyone who calls Trinity Church home will agree with and live out in their lives. <clears throat> so you may have already noticed this morning, and Morgan mentioned it to start the service, that there has been a little extra emphasis on the Word of God, and that's intentional. Our goal this morning is to put such a spotlight on the Word of God that you will be drawn to it in a way that leaves you like the subject of Psalm 1, of whom the psalmist says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And as a result of that devotion to the word, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. So I come back to the original question of why am I, the business administrator, up here talking about the Bible? The simple answer is that when we were talking about this series as a directional team, I got fired up talking about this core value because I believe it is foundational, not just to the other core values, but to all we do as believers. And so Doug and Steve and Bill said, I think you should do this one. So let that be a cautionary tale. Don't get too excited in front of pastors or else they'll give you an assignment. Kidding aside, I do think that there is a deeper reason this series, we wanted to do something a little different from our normal flow, from the usual teachers and pastors. Not because those are bad, quite the opposite. Those are fantastic, as you guys know. Uh, but our goal this week, and for the rest of the series, 
is to teach the core value as Scripture teaches it, and also to show you what it looks like in the life of people at Trinity Church, people who are passionate about it and who are living it out. After all, if it's a core value, it should be lived out. Hopefully by the end of this morning's service, you'll see that the Word of God can and should be central in your life, that like me and Paula Lawrence, who will come out soon, and Scott Blakey, who will be bringing us the message, and countless others of you as I look out there, um, you don't have to be a pastor to hear, to read, to study, to memorize, to meditate on God's Word. In Christ, you and I have been given the Holy Spirit, who illuminates all Scripture to those who put their faith in Jesus. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. When the three of us, Paula, Scott, and I, sat down to plan this service, we realized that combined, we have been at Trinity for roughly 100 years. Now, I don't say that to brag or to suggest that longevity is required for ministry here. Not at all. I'm just giving anecdotal evidence that this is, in fact, a core value at Trinity Church. It has been for a long time, and it will continue to be. If you choose to follow Jesus with us here, to hear the word preached on a Sunday morning, to study and discuss the word in small groups, to, to devote yourself to reading and memorizing and meditating on scripture, <clears throat> I believe it is inevitable that you will grow to love the word of God and in so doing, love the God of the word. <clears throat> and I know that's true for me. Growing up here at Trinity, I knew that the Bible was taught as authoritative and transformative. I learned to read it, to study it, to memorize it from an early age. But I'd say that for most of that time growing up, the Bible was mostly informational for me. It wasn't until college that I discovered the transformative power of the Bible. Junior year in college, I was experiencing what many in college experience, not a crisis of faith, but certainly a crossroads. Is this whole Jesus thing real? Or is it just something I did as a kid because it's what my parents did? By the grace of God, I was in a men's group that year with my dad and brother and some other men when we studied the book of Romans. When we came to chapter 8, I was overwhelmed by the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It stopped me in my tracks, and it still does. How many of you feel like you should be condemned? You feel shamed, shame for the things that you have thought and said and done. How could you be loved and accepted by a holy God with that track record of sin? I know I felt that way, even though I was pretty sure I had accepted Jesus as my Savior. But when I came to this verse, the words jumped off the page to me, and they caused me to question, was I really saved? Or was I condemned? Because I felt condemned. Although I won't do it now, I could easily recount a list of sins, big and small, public and private, sins of lust, sins of greed, sins of pride, sins of covetousness, all things that the Bible made clear and I knew in my own conscience had separated me from a holy God. For the wages of sin is death. But then I read just a couple chapters later in Romans that if you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I knew both of those things were true of me. I had confessed Jesus as Lord, and I did believe in my heart that he had been raised from the dead. Having read these words, I could finally allow myself to feel what God's word said was true of me and those who have put their faith in Jesus. I was forgiven and free. The stain of sin had been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. From then on, the Bible has been more than a book to me. It became the very words of God, transforming not just my feelings, but motivating me and empowering me to conform my thoughts, attitudes, and actions to God's standard. Although I daily fall short of that standard, which the Bible calls sin, I know that I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus and that God is not done sanctifying me by his word of truth, as he says in John 17. I love the word of God, and I am so grateful that just like Paul recognizes in his letter to Timothy, from childhood I have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which have made me wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Not my own intellect or wisdom, not my pastor, not my parents, not rule following, not self-help, not visions, but the sacred writings of scripture, the very words of God, I pray that it will be true for each one of you as well. And speaking of wise, I'd love to invite up here Paula Lawrence. Paula has been at Trinity for many, many years, and for those of you who don't know her, she is a dear follower of Jesus, wise, gracious, and humble. And I dare say her demeanor and character comes from her devotion to God through his word. Good morning, Paula. Do you want to grab a seat? Sorry about that. So, Paula, do you have your mic? Okay. No worries. Paula, as we're talking this morning about the Bible being transformative, I'm wondering, was there a time in your life when this became real for you? Well, when I was 12, I came to Christ. I came out of an alcoholic family, non-believing, and it was just kind of this thing God did in my heart and my life. But I had no one to disciple me, to kind of train me, to teach me how to get to know Jesus better. But I just had fallen in love with Jesus, and I knew he loved me. And I would just pour over the Gospels. But I remember thinking, how do I really get to know God? How do I get to know him personally? So by God's grace, at 19, I ended up at Viola. And I'm in this first Bible class that I'm taking. And the professor says, if you want to know God personally, you need to spend time with him. And I'm, you know, this young girl going, oh, that's a great idea. I want to do that. And from then, I began just spending some time with Jesus each day, trying to. You know, some days we don't make it, but that's how I began growing, and it became really, really rich for me. Well, are there things as you come to Jesus that you prepare yourself um, before you come to the Lord and his word? Yeah. Well, I'll just start by saying I still feel very inadequate in myself. I know I am after many, many decades since that happened, but I have learned a few things that are so helpful for me. 
First of all, it is just being prepared and showing up. And when I say prepared, I have a time in mind, a time that I'm going to meet with Jesus before the day starts. I was challenged as well early on in my faith that I should give God the best part of my day. And it's like, well, for me, that's pretty obvious. It is first thing in the morning. It's, that's when I'm good. For my husband, he was kind of dead for about six hours, so his was in the evening. And I mean, it's, it makes, that's a great idea. God has given us his best, so what is our best to give to him? So I have first thing in the morning, and I have my chair that I love to sit in, and I get my blanket, my tea. I have a basket with my Bible, my journal, my pens. I love to color. Uh, whatever I might need in that time. And I have my phone. I love my cell phone for this. And I have a list in the back of my journal of songs that I love to worship with. And so I'll go choose one of those songs, and I'll just sit and begin with worship. And that opens my heart in, in kind of a special way. Um, and then after I've had that special time worshiping, I turn my phone off because it really distracts me big time. And then the point for me that God wants is just to open to God. What does that mean? I mean, we have this amazing book that we, we love. We know it's God's word, but I have to show up. I have to come. And there was a, a second time in my life when I was in my 50s, and I just realized that my quiet times had become almost neurotic. I was like, how much is enough time to pray? I have this huge list. I, I became very kind of compulsive about it. And the Lord just really showed up and talked to me about that. And he said, this time is more about me transforming you. It's more about what I'm doing between you and me than what you're doing for me. And that was really a change. I, I realized Jesus isn't keeping track of the minutes that I spend with him. It's not a performance. He wanted me. It's, it's a relationship that I have with him. And I have that freedom to be known and loved with him. So when I begin my time, my quiet times with the Lord, I just, at the top of my page, this is just something that's helped me, is I write, you know, how am I today? Maybe I didn't sleep last night. I'm exhausted. Jesus knows that. I just need to recognize that. What, what is worrying me? And I'll just put an initial or two of things that are heavy on my heart. And what am I thankful for? Those are just some things that I found that I really enjoy they kind of help me show up in the time. And then I, I love the, how God has given us this amazing breathing exercise that we have to do to live. And it reminds me of my relationship with God. So I take deep breaths in and just remember, God is with me. He's, he's present. He's working. And then I breathe out. And I breathe out kind of the yuck in my mind of, of stuff that I want I want to not be, you know, have going on in my heart in that time. Well, I love how intentional you are, Paul, about coming to the word. It's not just as it happens, but you actually make it happen. I love that. And what practically, like, what do you do as you study God's word once you're in it? Well, this is going to sound kind of funny, but for, for me, and actually I've talked to lots of people, sometimes where to land is a big, huge question mark. And you find we have these great Bible studies, and we go through those, and then summer comes. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm lost. I, I'm so dry in my quiet times. Well, we still have the amazing Word of God. So having a plan where you're going to meet with God in the Word that next day um, is, is just kind of critical before you get there. God will meet you no matter where you go. But 
it's been very, very helpful. And so I just am constantly <clears throat> have a place in God's Word that I'm walking through, and if I'm not doing another study, I just go right back there. And I read until something kind of stirs my soul, something is in my mind, and I just sense the Spirit is saying, sit here, meditate on it, and I percolate on it. You know, God's Word is not just for information. I mean, there's a lot of it, wonderful information, but it's transformation, and that's us individually. Um, some people love to write it out or speak it out or even move as they say it. Um, and those are all got ways that you get to figure how to build in your relationship with God, how to meet with him. But I, I just want to caution, this is something that's also given me some freedom, is accepting the fact that I'm very humanly limited. I mean, some days I come and my heart is dull, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm bored, I'm tired, any of those things. And that's what God wants me to bring to him as I come. The only place God can meet me and you is right where we are. I think that's so important to remember. Where am I, Lord? And, and going there, not dressing ourselves up and making ourselves beautiful before we even come. Last week we heard from Pastor Doug in 2 Peter, um, 2 Peter chapter 1, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I, I just love that. For me, you know, think about the word. If you've been in the word for a long time, you know, there's something for everything we face. When I'm anxious, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. When I'm sick, um, Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. After losing my husband, I just loved this verse, and I would just say it over and over, Psalm 29, 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. He gives his people peace. When I have sin in my heart and I just need to run to him in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and re renew a right spirit within me. And when I have great fear, Isaiah 41:10, fear not, the Lord says to us. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. On and on, right? God's word is so precious, but we have to know and remember all through our journey, we are always all only beginners when it comes to knowing God and his word. So we're just beginners, and we are always in need of the Spirit to help us. But mining the depths of it is our gift, it's our joy, and it's our daily invitation to meet with Him. It's going to take more than my lifetime, more than our life, until we see Him face to face, right? So every day, God has something He's preparing, and He is speaking, and He wants to meet me and you there. What an incredible invitation and privilege. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Paula, so much. What, what encouragement. Friends, there is so much more I wish we could talk about this morning. Thank you, Paula. <clears throat> trying to communicate everything the Bible means to us in one morning is like trying to count the grains of sand on the seashore. It's overwhelming and practically impossible. So it gives me great relief to hand that responsibility off to somebody else. Scott Blakey has been a teacher at Arrowhead Christian Academy for over 30 years 
and he has been a member of Trinity Church for almost as long. As you'll discover this morning, he has an unshakable love for Jesus and insatiable hunger for his word. Please join me in welcoming Scott Blakey to teach us from the word. Thank you. Sorry. I'm not used to this. Well, good morning. It's good to see those of you I can see. There you are, below the lights. Um, yeah, as, as Scott mentioned, we, Sherry and I have been here for about just a little over 30 years, we taught for over 30 years. It's nice to look around, see current students, former students, parents of students. Yeah, and, and that's, that's awesome. Um, even had a couple of former students up here in the band this morning, Matt and Brianna, so that was nice. Um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, a lot of folks, a lot of you know me that way. Uh, many of you probably know me best as Sherry's husband, <laughs> which is a high honor indeed. Uh, if you don't know my wife, if you ever call here or are told to get in touch with somebody about something at Trinity, you're going to my wife. So, there you go. Um, but mostly what I am standing up here, I'm standing here as a member of this family. And that, that's the best part. You know, you, Trinity Church has been family to us for a long, long time. You helped us raise our children. Um, you, you've been a blessing to us in many ways. So... Thank you for that. Now, besides teaching Bible classes at ACA, uh, for a number of years I taught British literature as well. And early in the year, I explained to my, my seniors that if they walk across the stage at the end of the year and they don't love, say, Shakespeare, but they at least gave it an honest try, I'm okay with that. I don't always love them either. But if they walk across that stage and they don't love the Word of God, and if they don't love the Lord who gave us that Word, that will break my heart. You know, and I'm not being corny or dramatic when I say that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm committed to walking into that room every morning and fighting for that. Um, and I explained to them the reason I'm that serious is that what we study in Bible class and what we do here is a matter of literal life and death. This matters like nothing else. If we don't get this right, nothing else matters. So, I tell you that to let you know how serious I am about what we're about to, to study this morning. So let's pray. Uh, fathers, we've sung this morning already. Your word is a light to our path, a light to us. Um, you, you've lifted us out of darkness through the word of your gospel. And, and yeah, we, you give us that new life. And, Lord, I pray that as we celebrate that, that we would be people who are faithful to you and faithful to your word where we hear from you. And just pray that even this morning as we hear from you in your word, um, that your Holy Spirit will be doing a powerful work, lifting these words off the pages and... and piercing our hearts, showing us where you desire to change us, to make us more like your son. So we, we commit this to you in your son's perfect name. Amen. 
All right, well, Morgan opened this morning with Psalm 19. That, that's the text we're going to be working out of. So let's, let's grab our Bibles and go to Psalm 19. And I'm just going to get three points. You have, if you have the, the sermon notes, you can kind of follow along. So the first section here, okay? The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So our first point off of this is the power of the spoken word. This is where creation comes from. God speaks it into being. If you're familiar with Genesis 1, that's how everything comes. God speaks, and there it is. Let there be light, and there was light. You know, you, you and I can't do that. We can't just speak things into being. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Even Siri can't do that for us. Um, you know, Psalm 33, 6, I love this verse, says he breathes out the stars. Think of, we, we can't begin to imagine how immensely powerful that spoken word of God is. Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 1. Well, there goes one. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what he has made so that they are without excuse. We have no excuse to say we don't know God. We, we don't know who God is. He has made it evident to us through the power, through the evidence of his spoken word in creation. Now, creation tells us who God is. It displays his power, his divine nature, his beauty. But it doesn't tell us how to be saved. Sadly, it doesn't tell us that, but it does give fallen man enough to create disobedient idolatry. And that's what Paul's addressing there. Therefore, we need further instruction, which takes us to the next section of Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So creation, you know, what we call general revelation, introduces us to God. But Scripture, the special revelation of Scripture, brings us to him through the gospel. That is the perfect word. And notice the law, and there are several 
you know, words David uses here for the, for the Bible, basically, for the teachings. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. How could it not be, being the word of God? And David said that in his day without even knowing the full story. You know, think of how much more we know of the Bible than David did. But here's what he did know, that he could say it was perfect. He had the account of the fall in early Genesis. So he knows where sin comes from, from the initial disobedience of Adam and Eve. And he also knows God's promise in that same chapter that a Savior would come, that one would come and crush the serpent's head and destroy his power. He saw God's grace towards Adam and Eve. You know, before he sends them out of the garden, he takes their, their kind of pathetic attempt to hide their sin, their fig leaves, takes those away and gives them new, proper clothing of animal skins. And to reclothe them, notice, he had, a sacrifice had to take place. That's a foreshadowing of our transformation, you know, a putting off of the old so that we can put on the new, and God has to do that work in us. David knew the Abrahamic covenant, that the promise that one would come from Abraham's line and bless all peoples. He knew that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, that we are saved by faith. He knew the law and he understood, you know, David, the man after God's own heart, understood the law was meant not as a means of salvation, but to show us how short we fall and our need for that serpent crusher and for faith. David goes on to show the transforming work and power of the Lord's word here in Psalm 19, that we, the simple, are made wise through it. We have our eyes opened so that we can understand his righteous judgments and find great joy and delight in them. We are made right by his teaching. A, a theme Paul picks up in 2 Timothy. So let me go there. In 2 Timothy, and you should, I'm guessing these will be familiar words for many of you. 2 Timothy 3, we'll start there. Verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God, or your translation may say breathed out by God. Interesting language in light of Psalm 33, 6, where he breathes out the stars, he breathes out his word through the inspiration of Scripture. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. Well, let's look at what Scripture's good for then, what it's profitable for. It's good for teaching. Amen. His truth puts us on that right path, what Jesus called the narrow path that leads to salvation. And so you can think of this, you know, I was, before I was saved, I was wandering in the woods. You know, and, and the Word called me onto the right path and set me on the right way. But because I still have 
lingering remnants of a sin nature, I, I'm, I'm still prone to kind of wander off if I see something shiny out in the woods. Well, well that's where I need reproof. You know, I, I need God to kind of come upside my head and go, hey, stupid head, you're off the road. You know, but, but here, here's why I love the Lord. He doesn't just tell me what I've done wrong. I think that's where a lot of people get turned off to the Bible who've never read the Bible. They think, oh, it's just, it's just you know, a bunch of don't do this, don't do it, don't, don't have any fun. No. Hey, I tell you, the worst coach I ever had because I played basketball, believe it or not. I wasn't born middle-aged. Um, <laughs> all he ever did was tell us, we, hey, that, you're doing that wrong. Well, he never shows how to do it right. God doesn't do that. No, that's where the correction comes in. Don't do that. That's killing you. Do this. Do this. Take the life I've given you. Follow me. Get back on the road. And once I'm back on the road, he continues to train me in righteousness. You know, uh, one of my favorite books is Pilgrim's Progress. You know, the road to the celestial city, to heaven. And, and you know, Christian, the hero, and his friends are often wandering off, you know, into Bypath Meadow and other... They need someone to come alongside with the true word and say, no, 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 back on the road, come on. And that's, that's where we need one another, along with the word, to encourage each other with the word, to help train each other. We continue to be transformed through this training in righteousness as we come back to the word again and again. That's the transformation. That's the goal that we be adequate, that we're equipped for every good work. This is what he's changing us for. Now, having encouraged Timothy with the source of, God, of Scripture in, through God and the purpose of it, he exhorts him with the urgency to proclaim it and why we must be faithful to its truth. And that picks up in chapter 4. He says, I solemnly, char solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing that you are and, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Sorry. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, be serious about this work of the Bible. You know, just as fallen man turned idols, turned to idols out of creation, sinful false teachers take his holy word and corrupt it to, for their own gain and purposes. And it's interesting, you know, the Bible reading plan I was on last year, it was, it was interesting. When we got to the New Testament, we read the books of the New Testament in chronological order, you know, the order they were written. And uh, so as I get towards the end, you know, you have all the later letters like 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, Jude, John's three letters. And it's, it was interesting reading those right in a row like that, how often the warning against false teachers keeps popping up in the early church. And the, the warfare against that false teaching they come back to again and again is 
be in the Word. Teach the Word. Encourage each other in the Word. And you can't escape it. Um, you know, they had to address this problem and the need to combat it with commitment to the truth of, word, of the Word. Um, now, that sounds like a message for pastors and teachers. Well, okay. But in, second, in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter reminds us that we are a kingdom of priests. We are all part of this. You know, this should be part of our daily life, that we bring the word to one another to challenge, encourage, convict, comfort, whatever it is. The word has the answer, and we get to share that with one another. Now, false teachers weren't a new development in Paul's day. Jeremiah, you know, way back, Old Testament, faced opposition from false prophets. You know, while Jeremiah is proclaiming God's wrath and judgment to come, the false prophets are drawn a crowd by saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. You know, he says, they healed the wounds of my people superficially. You know, they tell them what they want to hear. You know, and really, the first time people fell into sin because of listening to false teaching, we go all the way back to the garden. When the serpent told Eve just what she wanted to hear, and we all fell because of that. Now, I've always been intrigued by that once I understood it. Do you, do you realize the first question in the Word of God questions the Word of God? Did you ever think about that? Serpent comes, hey, did God really say? Brothers and sisters, we have to know the answer to that question. If we don't know what we believe, we'll believe anything. And there are plenty of people who will sell it to us. Did God really say? Well, let's answer it properly. We have to know and love the true word and share that truth with others. I love this right across the page in my Bible for 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And, and for, for years, I think this has been a real part of the heartbeat of Trinity Church. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're in a relay race, and we keep passing the baton, or as my granddad would say, the baton. You know, the British have to say it all properly. You know, what Paul passed to Timothy, Timothy was commissioned to pass on, and then those who receive it from Timothy carry it forward. That's what we are to do. You know, I get no greater delight than to see my sons and my former students taking what they have learned from me and passing it on, and oftentimes coming back to me to share what they're learning and encourage me. That's, you know, how we live in community in the Word of God. False teachers are the result of false congregations. With no one to listen, they'll go find something else to sell. We have to raise people to know the truth and reject the lie. Okay, well, that's, that's Paul. Let's go back to Psalm 19. Okay? Now, it's not enough, of course, just to know the Bible. 
You know, the devil knows the Bible. He, he tried to use it to tempt Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day knew the Bible inside and out. But their hard hearts weren't transformed by it. They just, you know, they were these people. They learned how to use it to their benefit. Knowledge alone cannot change us. You know, we, we have had ample teaching over the years that smoking is bad for us. Do people still smoke? They have information. Why don't they change? We, we have been taught and taught in recent years that, that we really should not text while we drive. Yeah, I heard you. Maybe I'll just leave that one there. Maybe that one hit a little closer for some of us. You know, knowledge alone doesn't change us. You know, true faith is seen in obedience. But we can't obey what we don't know. We can't obey what we don't know. Now, on the flip side of that, there are a lot of people who know more than they obey. You know, we have to examine ourselves. Am I faithful to this word? Am I faithful to read it? And am I faithful to obey it? Verse 10 of Psalm 19, speaking of God's words. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Is the Bible precious to us? Is it sweeter than honey and more precious than gold? You know, I love, I heard a story one time, Francis Schaeffer, Schaeffer some of you will recognize that name, great apologist in the 20th century. I heard that he, he had his Bible on his nightstand next to his bed. I heard that periodically he'd wake up in the middle of the night and see his Bible there, and he would just reach out and pat it like it was an old friend. Because it was. You know, do you love your, your Bible? You know, do, do we say with Jeremiah, your words were found and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I have been called by your name O Lord God of hosts, you know, do we delight in it? Be sure we're reading it properly, too. You know, I tell my students, the reason a lot of people don't get anything out of the Bible is because they read it wrong. You know, coming from a school perspective, I say most people read the Bible like high school students read their yearbooks. You know what high school students look for first when they get their yearbooks? we all did it too, right? Themselves. No, I don't go to my Bible looking for myself. I'm not in here. It's not about me. I come look to see what I can learn about the Lord. That's where the delight comes. I'm not all that delightful. Okay? Now, as I learn more about the Lord, that reflects back and shows me who I am in that light. I have to look at it in the right way. Okay? Can I encourage you with a question? What do you use most often to feed your soul? Is it the Bible? Or maybe a devotional? Or a movie or a TV show? Or, or any variety of things we can use. Now, 
Let me be clear. I am not saying this to attack, you know, things that we can use to supplement our Bible study. If you know me, I love to read and study. But the best books or other materials are the ones that drive me back to the Bible more enthusiastically. You know, much as I might love C.S. Lewis or John Bunyan with Pilgrim's Progress, stories, stories of Narnia or the Celestial City can only whet my appetite for the true heaven. You know, on my desk at school, I have pictures of Sherry and all our kids and grandkids. I'll show you some after if you want. <laughs> I am unashamedly proud of, of them. I love those pictures, but those don't compare to spending time with my actual family. You know, they make me want them even more. That's what other reading should do for the Bible. And we have to be sure, be very careful with this. I have to be very, very careful. And I'm saying this for me, and I'm guessing for many of you. When I read another book, or whatever it is I might be doing, I have to be very clear that I'm reading that book through the lens of Scripture. That I don't get caught up in, re and it's very subtle and very easy to do, that I don't get caught up in doing the reverse and reading my Bible through the lens of what someone else has said. God's Word has to be, pre you know, primary. Okay? We also need to encourage against letting great experiences take the place of the Word. Peter addresses this in 2 Peter. Oh, here goes another one. Um, in 2 Peter 1, starting in chapter 16, you know, he's talking to people who are very caught up in experiences. You know, this is one of those last letters. For we didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, such, as, such an utterance as this was made by him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So here's Peter talking about the, being with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. A any of you ever had a better experience than that? You know, that is the ultimate mountaintop experience. You know, but here's what Peter said next. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And we have the prophetic word made more sure. A better wording of that would be we have the more sure prophetic word. Peter says the, the word of God is better than the greatest experience we, because no matter how wonderful experience may be, it will fade. The Word of God won't fade. It is always fresh. One more encouragement. Going to the Bible is not like going to Chipotle. I don't get to pick and choose the parts I want. You know? To do that is to follow a Jesus of our own making not the true Lord. We must read the whole Bible, even the uncomfortable parts, the convicting parts, which are often the parts we need most, let's be honest. 
It takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. To spend time in the Bible is to spend time with Christ, which brings me to my final point, the person of the living word. So back in Psalm 19, just to read the last section, moreover by them your servant is warned, and keeping, there in them, keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his error? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, and I, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the transforming work. I am shown where I fall short, and I am changed. I am transformed. We're warned and held back from sin and its rule and receive the great reward of blamelessness and freedom from guilt and shame. God put his power and beauty on display through his spoken word and communicated his truth and love to us through his written word, all to point us to Jesus, the living word. In the familiar words of John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay. The written Word, the beauty of the written Word is that it points us to the living Word. The Bible's an uncomfortable book. False teachers make their money telling us what we want to hear. The Bible's intent is to save us by telling us the truth that we need to hear, that we are sinners with no hope of salvation apart from the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God who came as one of us to take our sins and make us righteous. What Isaiah received as a great promise 750 years before Jesus we can know as great truth. We know the truth of that great finished saving work. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all fall on him. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Oops. Sorry. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, that's pretty serious. Paul follows that with two of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. But God. We are ch children of wrath, deserving death, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved. And jumping down to verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. One of the reasons I love the Bible so much is the first thing it ever told me was the truth about myself. Now, I didn't grow up going to church, didn't grow up reading the Bible, and I, I grew up in, in, you know, lived, went to high school, grew up in Santa Barbara, which is one of the great New Age centers of the world. So I tried all kinds of weird things. I really wanted to know God. And I, you know, I, Eastern mysticism, you know, all kinds of stuff, self-hypnosis. I mean, if it was weird, I'd try it. And I kept getting more and more frustrated because they kept telling me the good was in me. God would, I would discover God in myself. All I kept discovering in myself was more darkness and rottenness. I thought, I must be terrible at this. Well, then my brother went to college and got saved, came home, shared the gospel with me, and the light came on. And, and there was great joy and there was great relief. Finally, someone had told me the truth about myself, that I was lost, I was rotten. I did need saving. This is a powerful salvation. That Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Did you catch that? The same power that breathed the stars out at creation is the power that's saving us. You know, just like he spoke into the empty darkness of, of empty nothingness of you know, and spoke creation into being. He spoke into the empty nothingness of my heart to save me. Well, I said at the start, this is life and death. You know, for those who haven't yet put their faith in Christ, these things that were once true of believers in Ephesians 2 are still true. You know, still dead in sin, still a child of wrath. Let's say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. So if you're here today, and you haven't yet put your faith in Christ and his saving work, this could be your day. Now, at, at Trinity, we, we sometimes use the ABC of, of explaining the gospel. I, I had another acronym I came up with a few years ago, uh, and I'm going to test out on you today. And, and, I, and you know, it's cry, C-R-Y, you know, as in we cry out to God. So here we go. I don't know if we have slides for this or not. Um, but C is confess. Confess your sin. You know, in Greek, to confess means to agree with. So when I confess my sin, what I'm doing is I'm agreeing with God that what I have done and who I am is wrong. And I need to change. My sin has been revealed to me. I have no choice but to agree. R, repent. You know, turn away from that sin. Fix my eyes on Christ and follow Him through the Bible, through prayer. And then the Y, is yield. You know, I surrender control of my life to Christ. C-R-Y, cry out. You know, in, our, in, in the Blakey family, the phrase we use, Jesus calls the shots. You know, we serve him. So I pray that this is the cry of your heart today. You know, John, at the end of John's gospel, in chapter 20, verses 30, 31, Paul, John gives the reason for writing his gospel. And really, it's the reason for the whole Bible. 
It says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, <clears throat> which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is how the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart are made acceptable in his sight as we dwell on the beauty of Christ and his salvation and his lordship. We hear the word, we receive the word, and we love the word that saves and changes us as it comes from the God who saves and changes us so that we can know and love him all our days as we long for the day we will see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are, you do give us, you know, you show us your powerful word. You give us your perfect word in scripture. And your word is so very personal. You know, as the written word speaks to us and as the living word comes to us. And Lord, I just pray that, that you would, we would have that great, great hunger and, and the, that, that sweetness of coming to your word, you know, receiving it from you, you know, and that we would have the courage to hear your word where it tells us uncomfortable things and to change and to find even greater delight in our obedience. So, Lord, just we, we cry out to you as, as the one who loves and saves and redeems and transforms us. And we sing your praise to that end. Amen. You ready?